Well, good morning. Wow. It's 10.58, right? This isn't first service. Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. As you notice, we don't have that cool video going on. Our bumper video introducing our series. Evidently, technology, right? It's gone. And we don't know where it's at. Ben put all that work into that video. And guess what? I guess he's going to have to do it again. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, so I lost my bumper video. I found that out right before first service. So I'm thinking, oh, man, I need to tell a joke or something. And I'm like, uh, I'm not great with jokes, okay? Sometimes I tell them well. Sometimes I don't tell them very well at all. I'm thinking, you're not going to get that one. You haven't practiced it. And it's just going to be flat. And so don't even do that. But you know what? I did, so I did I'm reminded of something. Ken announced that... Uh, uh, we're doing a marriage class this fall, right? Um, just, we're just trying to do those things and always consistently have those things through. And um, I thought it was amusing. Uh, I thought it was amusing, but we announced that last week. And of course, Rob and Terry are taking one month and Nicole and I are taking one month. And after church, my wife comes up to me and says, hey, we're doing a marriage class. She found out that she was doing a marriage class in the middle of service. So we've done those before. So I guess I just thought, you know what? We'll be great. When the time gets here, we'll start working on it. And just forgot to tell her. So um, yeah. So that happens quite a bit though. Um, so that wasn't nothing new to her. But uh, anyway, um, it is great to see you today. We want to continue uh, on this, uh, this, this series we've been talking about, The Comeback. And I would remind you that we love comebacks because we are meant to be a comeback story. That's why we gravitate toward them. That's why we love to sit and listen to them. That's why something on TV comes on and we just gravitate toward a comeback story because inherently we were meant to be a comeback story. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest comeback ever. It's the greatest comeback ever. And that is a story that is meant for you and me. That is a story that was meant, it's what we need and it's what we, we, we just gravitate toward because we know we need a comeback. And in Jesus Christ, the greatest comeback has, uh, has happened. And um, I, I would remind you though that scriptures are full of people making a comeback. And we've looked at some of those, right? We looked at uh, the Apostle Peter and, and we saw the comeback from failure. The comeback from failure. And we found that the comeback from failure is found in drinking deeply from the well of God's forgiveness. You need a comeback from failure. I need a comeback from failure. And that happens when we drink deeply in the well of God's forgiveness. We looked at Gideon and the comeback from fear, right? The comeback from your, I would remind you that Jesus, of all the, the things that he said in the New Testament and the Gospels, the kind of commands he gave, you need to do this, you should do that, the thing that he told us to do more than anything else, even love him or love one another, the thing he commanded us most to do was do not be afraid. You know why he had to do that more than any other thing? It's because that's what we tend to do so often. 
And so we need a comeback from that, right? And we saw in Gideon's story, the comeback from fear. And we found that in knowing our identity and being strong through the Holy Spirit, we can be free from fear. Last week, Ken talked about uh, the comeback from self. And we looked at the story of Jacob. And we found that when we are in control, we lose our way. Remember Jacob? I'm gonna control things. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in control of my own destiny. And he ended up in a far country, uh, away from his family, in trouble with his brother, way out of the plan that God had for his life, right? And as he began to come back, he, he wrestled with God that night. And that was the night that he gave control over to God in his life. And from there, his life just, it, it, it took off. And that's so true of us. And we all need a comeback from self. And we found that when we are in control, we lose our way. But in surrender, we find God's way. And I would remind you that these things fit completely into our core values, right? Worship, how in the world can I worship God as a lifestyle and worship him freely if I'm bound by failure and fear and self? It doesn't happen. We need to be free from those. We need to come back from those. I can't, I can't connect with people if I'm caught up in my self-centered deal. It's hard for me to really love others. And, and so we need to come back because it fits into our core value. But today, I want to talk about another comeback. And I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you, which I'm always honest with you. Don't you love when a preacher says that? I'm going to be honest with you now. You're going to think, well, what have you been dishonest with me about? But like this is, I'm going to tell you another level of things, okay? I'm going to get a little deeper with you here. All week, I had this word. I've had this word for like three or four weeks that I was going to use to come back from. And this was the word. And I hated the word. But I couldn't think of anything else better. I mean, I have been to a thesaurus. I have looked at synonyms, antonyms, all sorts of any M's to try to figure out what's a better word. I kid you not. I talked to the staff Tuesday. Give me a word. Give me something. I kid you not. I had just mailed it in. I'm going to have to use that word. I'm sitting in first service, first song, and it just hits me. I kid you not. Have you ever had that happen? Like, at the very, so I just scurry back and change the word. So today we're gonna to talk about the comeback from the sidelines, okay? And that fits perfectly with our football theme, you know, and good stuff. I'm digging this. The, foot, the comeback from the sidelines. Now what I had originally was the comeback from irrelevance. How many of you really like the word irrelevant? Kind of bulky, kind of, ugh, you know. And he talked about, so we're gonna talk about the comeback from the sidelines, because in both things, it's, it's the same idea. It's the idea of insignificant, remote, not important, having little consequence, smallness. The comeback from the sidelines. I want to start this morning by telling you about Winston. Winston was one of those guys, if you looked at the track of his life, you would say by his early 20s, this guy is going somewhere. Early rise to stardom in his career um, he was young, innovative, forward-thinking. He, uh, he was a leader in the military. Uh, in fact, he was a war hero. Um, he had gotten captured and had gotten away and come back. And I mean, you're thinking at 30 years old, Winston is going to be one of the who's who in our culture in the years to come. Do you know what? Winston's life took a little bit of a different turn. Because in World War I, he... Uh, he made some really bad leadership decisions. In fact, his leadership decisions cost men their lives. 
in World War I. And in fact, his wife would tell later on, she would say that she sometimes thought that Winston would almost die from grief because he grieved so much over the decisions he had made. And it cost him. I mean, he, he, he was not suddenly the rising young star. He made some really bad decisions, probably because of some of his personality. Anyway, and uh, you know, by the early 1930s, Winston was, he was really just nobody. The star had fallen. Uh, the life was lived kind of nowhere. But slowly, through circumstances, he began to make a, a comeback. We know him today as Winston Churchill, the guy who literally is one of the pivotal people in the history of our world in World War II. Um, I, this is the guy who literally inspired his whole country to not give up when they were that close to being captured by the, the, the Germans in, in, in Nazi Germany. It's Winston Churchill who literally was right there at the tip of the spear keeping us from, from keeping them and ultimately it could have changed the whole way that World War II went. That's Winston Churchill. Started fast, went nowhere, and came back. And I think that mirrors the guy I want to talk about today from the scriptures. Uh, I want to talk about Moses. Now, when you think about Moses, uh, do you think about this? Does anybody have that picture of Moses in your mind? It's Charlton Heston, right? That's Moses. I'm going to be disappointed in heaven one of these days when I see Moses and he doesn't look like that. That's what I think of when I think of Moses. When we think of Moses, we think of things like what? Red Sea, Ten Commandments, leading the Exodus out of Egypt, the plagues, writer of the first book, five books of the Bible. The guy who literally was called the friend of God. That's what I think of when I think of Moses. And if you're like me, you probably say, how in the world would I even identify with a guy like that? I mean, his resume is so impressive that I don't even, how am I even in the same room with that guy, right? That guy did so much that I'm thinking I'm sure he had it all together all the time. To do, to do all of that, you really had to have made so many good decisions and you really must have had to know the right people and you must have had to have been in the right place at the right time all the time. I guess I kind of think that when I thought of Moses. And you know what? Then I began to read about Moses' life. And I would say that if that's your idea of Moses, maybe you don't know him very well. See, to understand Moses, you got to remember another guy named Joseph, right? Remember Joseph in Egypt, the, the, uh, his life, his story. But when Joseph was, by God, brought into Egypt to save his people, the Jewish people, from famine, uh, he became a leader in Egypt. And as time went on, his family settled down there. And then more Jews that had come to be spared from the famine uh, uh, stayed there. And over time, you have these Jewish people living in the land of Egypt. And they keep growing and growing and growing, right? 
And they are beginning to just uh, become a major demographic in the country of, of, of Egypt, the empire of Egypt at that time. And it became so noticeable that Pharaoh began to worry a little bit. In fact, he didn't worry a little bit, he worried a lot. He thought, you know what, if these people keep, uh, keep multiplying, <laughs> um, they're gonna be more than, than the Egyptians. And they're gonna overtake us. We've gotta do something about that. And so, again, you re- realize ancient cultures, uh, a lot of harsh kind of uh, living. And uh, so he decided good ways to do this would be we're gonna do some population control. And um, in fact, all the, the newborn or young, infant, small Hebrew boys were going to, uh, were going to, to kill them. Now the way he decided to kill them was throw them in the Nile. Uh, when you think of the Nile, what's the first thing you think of, right? Crocodiles. Um, yeah, that was the whole thing. Drown, crocodiles, all that stuff. And so to understand Moses' story, that's what he was born into. A young, newborn Jewish boy who was supposed to have been killed. But you remember the story, his mom and dad uh, uh, just were frantically trying to figure out some way to spare him this. They didn't want that to happen. So they devised a plan to hide him in a basket on the river and his sister to be there to, to just take care of him or watch over him and then mom, you know, there had to have been a lot of dynamics we don't even read about in scripture to make that happen. But in essence, they hid him down by the river. And um, you remember the day that this, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to, to bathe and she came across this basket and she opened it and um, she was drawn to this, to this little baby boy. And she decided, you know what? I've gotta have this boy. You remember the story? Miriam was close by. She, uh, she ran up and said, you know, through conversation, oh, you wanna keep him? Well, you know what? I know somebody that could nurse him, take care of him. Well, you know, and, and it's like, great. And the plan worked out that Moses becomes the son of Pharaoh's daughter yet is raised for a, we're not sure how long, but obviously long enough for him to know some things, to realize some things. He's raised by his mom and dad as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And as time goes on, he is then, he moves to the palace. And I'm telling you, in that culture, um, Moses becomes a prince of Egypt. He becomes one of the most uh, powerful people in the whole entire world. Acts would tell us that actually he grew, he grew in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was, he was mighty in speech, powerful in speech, and in all that he did, he became a sophisticated military leader. He became a, a scholar. He became everything that Egypt had to offer Moses, he took in and became trained in and became affluent with. And he is literally the rising star in the land of Egypt, the grandson of Pharaoh. And that's how we're introduced to Moses in, his, in his first, the first 40 years of his life. Um, but you remember what the, how the story goes? 
Acts kind of lets us in. Stephen kind of gives us a better picture, uh, even in Exodus. And Acts says this, when Modi, when Modi, <laughs> when Moses was 40, he de- decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. And you think of Moses' life, I, I just tell you a little secret, think of Moses' life in 40s. His, his life goes literally in 40s. But as he's 40, he goes down that day to visit. They were slaves, obviously. And he sees one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. He goes to his defense, and he avenges him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But you remember, they didn't. Because obviously he was paranoid because the next day he goes back to see, hey, did they say anything? Or, and he realizes that what he's done and this man that he's buried trying to just cover it up, it's now spreading. The story's going out. Moses has killed, a, this, the grandson of Pharaoh has killed a slave. What, you know, and, and Moses realizes that through his actions that Pharaoh is now angry with him and scriptures say he's gonna try to kill him and Moses is on the run. Remember that? And he runs. In fact, he runs to the land of Midian. He runs to the land of Midian. And there for the next 40 years of his life, he spends his time in the land of Midian. I got a few pictures. This is an artist's rendering of Egypt, ancient Egypt. This is Moses' existence for the first 40 years, right? This is all his, really. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. I also got a picture of modern-day Midian. This is modern-day Midian. And this is where he ends up. 40 years. He finds a wife. He has children. He becomes a shepherd. And this is his existence for 40 years. You wake up to this, you walk around in this, you go to sleep in this, you do it again the next day. 40 years. And I would say that to understand Moses' story, and I believe even what's applicable to us, is so often life's circumstances so often lead us into the world of the sidelines. Moses was never meant for that, right? God's design for his life was never to be a shepherd on the backside of a desert, to be honestly what we would call on the sidelines of life. No doubt Moses often, (laughs) in fact I know because of what he says later, is wondering how in the world that I end up here. I am not realizing what I had hoped for, planned for, what I had always dreamed of. And I would remind you today that so often we have goals and plans and dreams and we've spent time with the Lord, maybe when we were first a Christian, 
Maybe at different times and we have just sensed his presence, him speaking to us through his word and we just know that God wants to use us and God has a plan for us and God wants to do this with us. And so often we wake up and realize, you know what? How did this happen? I really don't feel like I'm engaging life. I'm taking life like I should. I'm living life uh, in a way that God is truly using me like he wants to, and I'm on the sidelines. And so often it's just life. The circumstance, Moses' bad decisions got him there, right? He tried to take things in his own hands. He was gonna be the guy. That's another sermon in and of itself, right? Moses' own, his own working so often we, we can find ourselves on the sidelines of life and it's just life circumstances for whatever reason, our decisions, things that happen um, and we lose sight, uh, we lose focus, we lose desire, we just, get, we just get swamped by everything and we end up running to Midian, so to speak and we end up waking up and saying, you know what, I just feel like I'm on the sidelines. What, what's happening with my life? Am I... Am I Am I accomplishing what I'm supposed to do? Do I feel like beyond work, and, and obviously your work is a part of what you're supposed to do, but I just, as a pastor sometimes, I, I sense a quiet frustration from people. that just are like, I just don't feel like I've tapped in to what I, my potential, what God wants to do with me. We find ourselves on the sidelines. But the story, and we're going to read starting in Exodus chapter 3, continues this way. Um, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had went over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. He said, Moses, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Israel, Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land that flows with milk and honey. It's now the home of all those people, but it's gonna be your home. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now Moses, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, all right, here we go, game on. Moses knows this man. He was a prince of Egypt. He's a smart guy. He realizes, in fact, back in Egypt, he tried to take things into his own hands. He knew he could, and so he's gonna say, all right, I'm jumping on my camel, and we're out of here. Right? It's a long drive. <laughs> How does it read? But Moses said to God, who am I 
You see what the, you see what the backside of the desert does to us? You see what life does to us? It literally drains us of any sense of identity, confidence, a realization of what God has given to us and our potential and our life's purpose. Moses, prince of Egypt, he knew, he knew, scriptures later tell us, he knew that God had a special design for his life. And yet life circumstances had so mixed him up, reoriented his thinking, caused him to be so, uh, have, a, have such a different paradigm look at life that literally when God tells him, hey, go, the first response to Moses is, or from Moses is, well, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm a shepherd in the middle of nowhere. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, watch this. I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is who I am who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, which is an incredible problem. There's a lot of different sermons in this. You don't want me to preach all of them, okay? But it's crazy to think that he spent 40 years on the desert and guess what? Right nearby in Mount Sinai is where he received the Ten Commandments. It was there all along. He never knew, no doubt, as he lived day in and day out of those 40 years in the wilderness, he never knew that he was gonna be on a mountain close by receiving God's commandments. It's just a crazy another story. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? Are you seeing a pattern with Moses? Who am I? Well, God, I, I don't really know what to say. Moses said, God said to Moses, say I am who I am. That is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, in their, their whole thing, they would have got that. God's saying, listen, you want to know what to say? Here you go. Moses, you want to say, you want to say who am I? I'm nobody. I'm going to tell you right where you're standing. I'm going to do something great. Moses, you want to say, I don't know what to say? Well, here's what to say. So you're like, okay, Moses, you're starting to get it, right? <laughs> Moses answered. What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord does not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And Moses said, a staff, a rod. And the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. I love that verse. See, I am a little bit like Moses. <laughs> I'm running from the snake, no doubt. The Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And that's where I'm not like Moses. <laughs> so I'd have been out. <laughs> no. He reaches out, grabs it by the tail, and it turns back into a staff. And the Lord says, this is what I'm going to do so that they may believe. You see, Moses has all these excuses. Because living on the sidelines creates a multitude of excuses in our lives. And the powerful prince of Egypt is now nothing more than full of excuses. I'm nobody. I don't know what to say. 
How am I gonna show them? And God, what is he patiently doing? Every excuse. Well, here's, here's what to say. You wanna see some power, Moses? Well, here, snake, rod, rod, snake. The Lord keeps going. Verse six, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak and when he took it out, he had leprosy. It was white with leprosy. The Lord said, now put it back in. He did. And when it came out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And Moses said to the Lord, but Moses then said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. Now, come on. He's just changed a, snake, a rod into a snake. He's just gave him leprosy and taken it away. And Moses is still so buried that he's needing more from God. And yet God continues. I, pardon your servant, Lord. I'm not very eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Stephen actually says that he was powerful in speech in Egypt. You see what's happened to him? You see what happens when we're on the sidelines? We just get buried. And the Lord said to him, well, who gave, the, who gave you your mouth? What makes you either be able to talk or not talk? Who gives you sight or makes you blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said... Pardon me, God. Please send someone else. It's amazing, isn't it? This is the guy who God used to part the Red Sea, give the Ten Commandments, lead a million people, watch the pillar by day and the fire by night, the guy who manna from heaven, the friend of God, all this. Do you see this part of his life? He is completely on the sidelines. And God patiently, patiently, patiently continues to work with him. And that's why I would just finish in saying this. God meets us in and shows us how to get off the sidelines. That's that's the story of Moses. He's buried. God doesn't give up on him, keeps coming to him, keeps showing him until Moses just has, just has no other answer except, okay, God, I'm going. And you remember what happened, right? He goes. There's no way in his wildest imagination he would ever thought that the things that happened with him would happen. I mean, even being the prince of Egypt, would not have compared to what he got to see. You ever, the Red Sea, I mean, have you, ever, have you ever heard somebody really talk about that, break that down? How to get a million, two million people through that? How, you know, or maybe you've just seen Bruce Almighty with the cup, you know. But amazing. He got to see stuff that, no, I mean, just crazy. But you know Why? is because he finally came back. He came back from the sidelines. God brought him back. God called him. He responded. And he came off of the sidelines. And God meets us in and shows us how.
to leave the world of the sidelines. I don't know your life story. I really, I don't. I, I'm trying my best. But I wouldn't doubt that maybe some of you would say, you know what? I just kind of feel like I'm living on the sidelines. I, I just, I don't know, Pastor. I just, I just don't feel like I've realized my full potential or what God has for me. And I would say, remember Moses. That's exactly where he was at. And look what God has done, right? If we're talking about core values and service, right? It's one of the things he wants to do with our lives. It's, one of the, it's where we live, honestly. It's where, it's where we find purpose and meaning and fulfillment is in finding, hey, this world is bigger than me. And in fact, I find life in living for something bigger than me. And Moses found that. You see, his life could have just been characterized by, boy, that guy had a great start. Look where he ended up. You know what's a beautiful picture is the picture of the rod, the staff that Moses had. When God said, what do you have in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. Moses was saying, you know what? Right here, this is who I am. This is all I have, my sheep, and this is what I do. I'm a shepherd. God did that on purpose because he knew what he was gonna do with Moses. But he wanted Moses to give him everything he was right where he was at. He didn't care if he was on the backside of a desert. This is what do you have, Moses? Do you know, and I don't wanna add to the scripture, so I'm not going to, but it would be an awesome thing if that rod that he, had, that he held in the middle of Midian was the same rod that he held when the Red Sea parted. I don't know if it was the same one, but it definitely was a staff. You see, what God does with our lives when we give it to him, when we trust him, when we get off the sidelines, when we respond to his call, <laughs> he even takes what was once this and makes it something better. And that staff was the same thing that struck a rock and water came out. All that stuff. Because God always has a plan and a purpose for our lives. It's never to be lived on the sideline. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that means. But I know consistent with the nature and the character of God that he's calling each one of us just like he did Moses to not live life on the sideline to know and sense and realize what it is he wants to do with me. I'm not discrediting things he's doing in your life now. I'm just telling you, 
Let him do everything he wants to do. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray with you before we go. And I'm telling you from a pastor's heart, I deeply, deeply desire for this moment to just be one where you just simply bow your heads and I, as I pray, say, God, am I on the sidelines? God, if I'm on the sidelines, please, help me to see. There's no doubt there are, he's not gonna send a burning bush to you, I'm sorry. But there are opportunities in front of you And as he opened your heart and mind to those and you realize this is what I'm gifted in, this is what I love, this is what I'm passionate about and I'm not even involved in it, Lord. We'll make it happen. Get me off the sideline, God. Give me a comeback. Father, so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for the life of Moses that you shared with us. Lord, I, I can't express to you how, how powerful Exodus chapter 2 and 3 and 4 have been in my own life. And I realize that Moses, it wasn't just all a silver spoon. In fact, he lived in the backside of the desert And Lord, you went right to where he was and you showed him, you met him there and you showed him what you can do. I thank you for that in my own life. And Lord, I don't ever want to live on the sideline. And Lord, I know that it seems unique for me to be praying that because I do ministry for a living, but Lord, even in ministry, I could live on the sideline. Lord, help me not to ever be there. Help us not to ever be there. Help us to find and engage and live out what you got going on for us. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Continue, Lord. For those that are engaged, Lord, continue to keep them there. But Lord, maybe there's some today that just say, you know what, yeah, you're right. I just kind of live on the sidelines. Life happens to me. I don't really... Well, then, Lord, would you remind them of Moses? Would you remind them that there's a comeback? And that, Lord, that all of our excuses, (laughs) who am I? I can't speak. I don't, I don't, how are they gonna believe me? Just get somebody else, because I can't do it. Lord, all those excuses, you just patiently, patiently answer and dismiss in our lives, if we'll let you. So, Lord, help us all to have a comeback from the sidelines. And live out your purpose and your meaning for our lives, I pray. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Trust you have a great week.